Good morning. This morning we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, and your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. So we've been following Jesus through his famous Sermon on the Mount, and right in the middle of it, the beginning of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus has been talking about true religion. He's been addressing what true righteousness looks like in a person's own religious practices and spiritual disciplines. So Jesus has addressed generosity and prayer and fasting, those three, th- those three things. And now we're going to return back to prayer because he spends the most time focusing on prayer. And Jesus, and we saw recently when we looked at the sermon Righteous Prayer, and you can find it on our sermons and resources page, when Jesus was talking about righteous prayer, he offers us a healthier way of prayer, a way of prayer that approaches God, our Creator, as our Father who intimately knows us. And what that does, uh, approaching God in prayer as a Father, Uh, It liberates you from your need to impress other people, which is really the moralistic way of looking at religion. But it also liberates you from the the feeling that you need to induce God, manipulate him into action, which is more of a pagan or secular way of looking at religion uh, and prayer. And so you may remember Jesus saying in... uh, Earlier in this section on prayer, in verse 8, he's talking about the hypocrites who pray moralistically for attention and the pagans or Gentiles uh, who pray in order to provoke and uh, manipulate uh, and force God into action. He says, don't be like them. And now in verse 9, Jesus says, pray then like this. And in the original language, it was emphatic, meaning you, you pray like this. Don't pray like them, the hypocrites and, and the pagans. He said, you then pray like this. And the Lord's Prayer, the famous Lord's Prayer, begins. Now, how how are we supposed to think about the Lord's Prayer? What are we supposed to make of it? If you've come from some church traditions, you have probably spoken countless Our Fathers, right? Um, If uh, Our Fathers is a way of saying the Lord's Prayer. Or or if you're new to Christianity, uh, you may have never spoken these words in the Lord's Prayer or, or read the, the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verses uh, 9 through 13. Uh, so, is, is the Lord's Prayer some type of supernatural formula or incantation in order to invoke God to hear us and to act? It can't be, not according to what Jesus has already told us in the Sermon on the Mount. Or is, is the Lord's Prayer uh, some type of a therapeutic a spiritual therapeutic that comforts us, that calms us. Well, it may have that effect on you psychologically, but that that was not its original intent. The Lord's Prayer is not a formula. It is not a panacea. The Lord's Prayer is a window into the heart of God. That's what Jesus was doing when he taught his disciples to pray like this. The church father Cyprian said that the Lord's Prayer is a compendium of heavenly doctrine. Or Tertullian said that the Lord's Prayer is an abridgment of the entire gospel, 
the good news. Or much more recently, Martin Lloyd-Jones said that the Lord's Prayer contains all the principles. And Martin Lloyd-Jones said the Lord's Prayer is like a skeleton. And what he meant by that was it, the Lord's Prayer is something that we can hang everything else on. It's a foundation. Uh, it's core. It's central to who we are, to what we believe, and, and how we live before God and before other people. So if you haven't thought much about the Lord's Prayer as you have spoken it many times, you may have been misusing it. If, if you're new to the Lord's Prayer, then you have an opportunity with the rest of us to align your heart with the heart of God. That's really what this is about. It was Catherine Marshall who wrote that the purpose of all prayer is to find God's will and to make that will our prayer. And I think that sums it up. So today is just going to be an overview on the Lord's Prayer. We're not going to get into all the specifics. I'm, I'm going to move quickly uh, through the different petitions in the Lord's Prayer. But I want to encourage you, if you have any questions left over or any concerns or doubts, uh, our church, uh, Deep Run Church, this fall is going to be doing an entire series on the Lord's Prayer. So come this fall, we'll slow down, we'll take a very close look at the Lord's Prayer. I think it's going to change the way we pray. I think it's going to change our lives. Um, so I'm excited about that. So hold on for, for a, a fuller treatment and, and study exploration of this Lord's Prayer. Today is really just an overview. And really what I want to communicate to you today is this. The words of the Lord's Prayer reflect the priorities of the kingdom of God. The words we see in the Lord's Prayer are words in which Jesus is teaching us the core priorities of the kingdom of God. It encapsulates the entire Sermon on the Mount. And if you look at it logically, it's right in the middle of the entire sermon. It's like the pinnacle, right? We're climbing the mountain with Jesus, one scholar says, and we get to the top and what we find is the Lord's Prayer. And so what I'm going to discuss with you today is three things. Prayer is about seeking God's kingdom. Prayer is about doing God's will. And prayer is about a relationship with Him. Prayer is about seeking the kingdom of God. It is about doing the will of God. And in order for any of that to be possible for you, you must have a relationship with this God who invites you to be His son, His daughter so that you can call him your father. So uh, seeking God's kingdom, doing God's will, being in a relationship with him, that's what prayer is all about. Okay, prayer is about seeking the kingdom of God. And what I mean by that is prayer is about acknowledging that God's kingdom exists and longing, desiring, hoping, working towards that kingdom. And what you the structure of the Lord's Prayer is an opening invocation followed by six petitions. An invocation and six petitions. And the opening invocation is uh, these beautiful words in the beginning of verse 9, Our Father in Heaven. Now, unless you can see those words and appreciate them as a true gift, you cannot go any further with the Lord's Prayer. None of it makes sense. None of it is effective. None of it is meaningful unless you really own and embrace and rejoice in these opening words. Jesus gives us permission and invites us to approach the creator of the universe by saying, Our Father in heaven. 
And I want to briefly say, remember, we're going to go fast today. I want to briefly say two things about the phrase, our Father in heaven. That the Christian faith, according to the Bible, is familial and it is communal. It's about a family and it's about a community, right? God is our Father. He's brought us into His family. He's adopted us. And that means we have siblings. Our Father. All the pronouns in this prayer are plural. When He's talking to us, it's, it's a community. Jesus has saved a community. Our Father in heaven, right? So God is our Father and we have siblings. Prayer should always be personal, but it should never be individualistic. Prayer is always personal, but it is not selfish or self-centered. Not the kind of prayer Jesus was talking about. Okay, so that's the, the invocation, our Father in heaven, followed by six petitions. I want to talk about the first three petitions. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as, as it is in heaven, verses 9 and 10. Hallowed be your name, in verse 9. So first we remember and we desire God's worth, His glory, His holiness above everything else. Above all things and all people and all causes, God is the greatest. And we remember that. And we desire that He be seen in our lives and in the world as the greatest, as the most worthy. And then it says, your kingdom come, the second petition in verse 10. Your kingdom come. So there is no greater cause than God's cause. There is no greater plan. There is no greater influence. There's no greater good than the good that God has planned and is carrying out in history. Your kingdom come. We desire that. We desire God's greatest for humanity and for all creation. And then your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If God's cause is the greatest cause, then we commit ourselves to it. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done here as it is done in heaven. Right? If, if God's good is the best good, then we commit ourselves, all that we are, to that good. If there's no greater kingdom and no greater cause, then that's what we're all about. Who we are, what we have, what we've been given, whatever circumstance we're in. We commit our cause to God's cause. We make His cause our own. Now, in these first three petitions, John Calvin wrote that we ought to lose sight of ourselves and seek the glory of God. Lose sight of our, forget ourselves and remember Him and seek His glory and His great cause. So Jesus is really teaching us in these first three petitions to refocus. When we come to God in prayer, we're basically rebooting our thoughts towards God's priorities and not our own and not the priorities of the people and the systems uh, and the social groups around us. We, we, we do a spiritual mental reboot and ask ourselves, what are God's priorities? Those should be my priorities. The New Testament scholar Jonathan Pennington wrote this, that this heavenly age, time, space, and experience of God's coming kingdom are what every believer is looking forward to and what provides the fundamental orientation for the Christian life. You see how the Lord's Prayer 
is much more than a spiritual formula or some type of an emotional, psychological panacea or a religious technique. It is so much more than any of that. The Lord's Prayer summarizes Jesus' vision for his coming kingdom and the people who will be a part of it. Jesus' vision for his coming kingdom and the citizens of his heavenly kingdom. So if if God has priorities for what we should pray about, because clearly he does, if God has priorities for what you should pray about, then what should you be praying about? Right? That's, that's what we have to ask ourselves. Practically, what should we be praying about? Well, as I said, prayer is not only about seeking God's kingdom. Prayer is about doing God's will. The Lord's Prayer leads us from worship into action. I had said uh, several weeks and a few months earlier, as we looked at the Beatitudes, the, the opening preamble to the Sermon on the Mount, what we saw in the Beatitudes is that Jesus is leading his disciples from identity to impact, right? Who you are impacts how you live. Identity to impact. And here in the Lord's Prayer, we're seeing a similar transition. Jesus is taking us not not so much from identity to impact, but in a similar way, he's taking us from worship to action. And and the third petition, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it's a hinge. Uh, The entire prayer, it, it turns on that third petition. Actually, in the original language, the, the words, the order was reversed. It was, it was your will be done as it is in heaven, even so on earth. And, and that's the focus of the transition from, from God's kingdom being accomplished in heaven to God's kingdom being accomplished on earth. So there's a hinge there in the third petition. The first three petitions really were about establishing in our hearts God's preeminence and God's coming kingdom. All right, that's the foundation. And then these last three petitions that we're going to look at now are all about God's kingdom priorities at work in our lives and through us at work in this present world. So the first three petitions, we focus on God. We remember his glory. We remember his kingdom, his priorities, his cause, his agenda. And in the last three petitions, we say to ourselves, how do we make that a reality right here, where we live, what we're doing, what we have, who we're with, whatever our situation is. How do we bring that kingdom mindset into our lives practically? And what's interesting about the Lord's Prayer in these two divisions is uh, people have said for a long time, it's kind of like the Ten Commandments, right? If you're familiar with the Ten Commandments, the, the first half is about your relationship with God. And the second half is about your relationship with the world, with everybody around you. And you see that type of pattern here in the Lord's Prayer. It's about God, and it's about the world. So these last three petitions John Calvin wrote, the last three petitions are really about what we ought to ask for ourselves, right? So at first you forget yourself and remember God and his priorities, but then you ask, you ask for yourself these things. And these are the three, the three last petitions, four, five, and six. Give us this day our daily bread, verse 11, and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors, verse 12. And then in verse 13, we close with, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Okay, so the fourth petition, give us this day 
our daily bread. We're asking God to give us what we need to do His will. Our Father, give us what we need to do Your will, to please You, to honor Your cause and Your coming kingdom. Give us this daily, this day our daily bread in John Stott's translation is, give us the necessities rather than the luxuries of life. That's what we ask for. Lord, what's your will? Give me what I need to do your will. That's what I'm going to be concerned about. Give me what I need to do your will, God. And then in verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, you need to remember that Jesus is speaking, the Sermon on the Mount, he's speaking in a shame-honor culture. So, when he's talking about debts here, he's not talking about financial debt. It's not about what you, the money that you owe people. He's talking about moral debt, right? Other, another way of translating debt here would be trespasses. The wrongs that you do against God, the wrongs that you do to others, and the wrongs they do to you. Right? He's saying, this is, should be our attitude in prayer. Father, forgive me. And as you have forgiven me, thank you, as you have forgiven me, help me to forgive others. That's a big one. And finally, in verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Uh, this one is, is kind of hard to interpret, and it's, it's tripped people up for a long time. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We need to remember that uh, we have two words in English, tempt and test. But in the Greek New Testament, one word could mean either thing. It's the same Greek word could mean tempt or test. And, and we know from, from uh, the, later, the letter of James that God doesn't tempt us like Satan tempts us. Uh, God is not the author of evil, and he doesn't tempt us toward evil. He does test us. He, he, he does refine us and perfect us because he loves his children, but he doesn't tempt us. He's not the author of evil. So we already know that uh, from the New Testament, uh, from all of Scripture, actually. So rather, John Calvin interpreted this, this phrase this way. He said, that we may not be led into temptation, deliver us from evil, right? That we may not be led into temptation, deliver us from evil, Lord. It is not God's desire to tempt us. It is his desire to strengthen and perfect and refine us. And so we cannot avoid trouble or inconvenience or persecution in this world. Jesus has already told us in the Sermon on the Mount just the opposite, right? If we follow him, we're going to run into problems with the social systems and authority structures of this world. So we're not going to be able to be isolated or insulated from trouble, but a loving Father will deliver us from it. He will never give us more than we can bear. And that's, and that's what Jesus is asking us, is telling us to pray about. Uh, Father, we desire that you would deliver us in a difficult world uh, where there is a spiritual enemy, uh, where we're sinners, where we're surrounded by sinners. Father, when we are tested and when we are tempted, deliver us from it. Uh, John Calvin went even further uh, by saying this, we are conscious of our own weakness and we desire to enjoy the protection of God that we may remain impregnable against all the assaults of Satan. 
So, so six petitions, three of them focus on God's kingdom and priorities. Three of them focus on realizing that kingdom and those priorities in this life, in this world. So what Jesus is doing here in these last three petitions, he, he's, he's revealing the core focus of all our requests, all the, possi- the po- all the possible things God wants you to ask him for, God wants to give to you. These three are at the core. Provision, forgiveness, and deliverance. The last three petitions, that's Jesus is asking, uh, telling us, ask for these things. Provision, forgiveness, deliverance. Provision to do your heavenly Father's will on this earth during your lifetime. A forgiving heart. You're asking God for a heart that is grateful that He's forgiven you and a heart that longs to forgive others as you have been forgiven. Right? So provision to do His will, a forgiving heart, and finally, deliverance. That you would be delivered protected from evil, that although it exists and it torments you, it will not overcome you, but you will overcome it. Provision, forgiveness, deliverance. And look, if you've lived long enough, you know that this is true, that all that these three categories, they cover everything. There's nothing that you could possibly ask God for that isn't somehow caught up in provision, forgiveness, deliverance. The church father, Augustine, said this, The words, therefore, which our Lord Jesus Christ hath taught us in his prayer are the rule and standard of our desires. Thou mayest not ask for anything but what is written here. The rule and standard for our desires. Now that phrase, that may bother you that that you shouldn't ask for anything else. Well, may, maybe if maybe if God's a villain, but Jesus has already told us God is a father. So if God is your father, then knowing what He wants you to ask Him for is a gift. It's a gracious thing. How helpful and generous that Jesus Christ put at the heart of His most famous public address a prayer guide. At the heart of the Sermon on the Mount is a prayer guide written by Jesus for you. So much of religious prayer throughout human history, and even even in our own day, so much of religious prayer is about trying to manipulate the gods to get what you want or to avoid their wrath. But the God of the Bible graciously shows us how to pray to Him, and what to ask of Him. This is not a mystery, right? Of all the mysterious aspects of our Creator, there's so much we don't know, right? Uh, But there's no mystery here. God wants us to pray to Him. He teaches us how, and He teaches us what to ask of Him. How helpful and generous. So learn, here's the takeaway, learn to cultivate a prayer life that's based upon God's priorities. Learn learn to cultivate a prayer life that's based on His priorities and not your own. You know, your prayer habits reveal a lot about you. 
your prayer habits and, and your prayer requests, the things you pray about, the things you ask God for, really do reflect who you believe God is. Your prayer life and your prayer requests are a reflection of what you believe about God. I want you to try and remember two types of people from your, uh, from your life growing up. And if you're still young, you'll be able to, this will be really easy for you. Remember the most difficult teacher or professor you ever had. Think about that person. Remember how, remember how that educator was impossible to predict and to please. Remember, no matter how hard you worked, you couldn't predict their grading system. No matter how hard you studied, how intently you listened, they'd always find you lacking in some way, right? You, you couldn't figure them out. No matter how hard you tried, you lost sleep, you lost weight studying for final exams and writing papers. I remember a piano professor in college, a great guy. His standards literally made me sick to my stomach. So remember the most difficult teacher or professor you ever had who was so difficult to please. And now I want you to also remember the, like, the lamest substitute teacher right, you, you ever had. Now, look, I, substitute teachers are great. We need substitute teachers. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not knocking substitutes at all. But, but think back in, in your own education, growing up, or if you're young now, who was your lamest substitute teacher, right? Think about that. Remember how y'all felt and how y'all treated that person. You felt like you could manipulate the substitute teacher. You'd say to each other, we're going to sink a sub today, because the substitute teacher doesn't know the classroom routine. Now, permanent subs, they do. That's different. But, but the person that comes and goes, right, they don't know the routine. They're, they're, they're never there. So you feel like you can get away with anything. You feel like you can manipulate the circumstance for your own benefit while a sub is there that day. So, so think about your most difficult teacher ever and think about the lamest sub you ever had, all right? Here's where I'm going with this. I want to ask you a question. Are you praying to a mistaken image of God? Are your prayers going up to a false God? To some image of God you have concocted based on your experiences in life? Is God a mysterious perfectionist to you? A task Master, you are hopelessly trying to decipher and figure out and please, knowing that you never can, hoping that you might by some miracle accomplish it. Is God a mysterious perfectionist to you? Or, or is God some gullible substitute God to you? Is that what he is to you? Is he a gullible substitute that you are aiming to outwit and to manipulate? Whatever images of God you have been assuming in your prayer life, a myth, you know, whatever, whatever your image of God is based on, a myth, a parent, right, an earthly father or parent, a teacher, an abuser, an oppressor, whatever that image is, praying to false gods will always leave you dissatisfied and deceived. I had said that prayer is really about a relationship, 
This is ultimately why prayer is not a formula created by religion or or a psychological emotional panacea, because prayer is about a relationship. And relationships are not about panaceas. Relationships, true relationships, are not about techniques. They're about people. They're about unity, unity of souls. Prayer is about a relationship, and here's the amazing thing about Christianity. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, offers you the same relationship that He has with God the Father. In prayer and in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is inviting us into the same prayer relationship that He enjoyed with God the Father as the Son while He was here on earth as one of us. The same relationship that sounds radical, and that's what's radical about Christianity, is Jesus is offering us, inviting us, in to his relationship with the Father. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, the night before he was executed, he prayed an amazing prayer. We call it the high priestly prayer. You can find it in John chapter 17. It is a beautiful prayer. And if you look at that prayer closely, it resembles all the principles that you find here in the Lord's Prayer. Do that this week in in your personal Bible study. Look at the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6 and then go and look at Jesus' high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. It's not word for word verbatim, not even close, but the principles in the Lord's Prayer you will see fleshed out, fleshed out by a man who knew he was about to die. Fleshed out in John chapter 17. Check it out. And in that prayer, this is what Jesus asked his Father for concerning you and me. He asked the Father that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. And Jesus also said, listen to this, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me. And Jesus said the reason he was asking for this is that so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Have you ever prayed like that for somebody? Has anyone ever prayed like that for you? Jesus did. Jesus, think about the prayer life. Read the Gospels. Think about Jesus' prayer habits. Think about his prayer life, what he prayed for and how he prayed. Jesus always prayed for the Father's kingdom to become a reality in his life. Jesus always prayed that God's will be done. Right? Father, if, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, your will be done. Jesus always prayed for God's provision. He didn't have much. He didn't have a family. He didn't have a home. He always prayed, though, that God would give him what he needed to accomplish his will. Jesus prayed for forgiveness. Not for his own, because he never sinned, you see. He lived the perfect life. But when he hung on the cross, he asked his Father to forgive those who were killing him, who were unjustly 
crucifying him because they didn't know what they were doing. Father, forgive them. And finally, my friends, Jesus prayed for deliverance. Jesus prayed, as we talked about earlier, for provision, for forgiveness, and for deliverance. And the one request that his father didn't grant him was deliverance. He said, Father, let this cup pass from me. And God didn't answer that prayer. God didn't give Jesus the deliverance he sought for as a human being before the crucifixion. And he didn't answer that prayer for Jesus because he answered that prayer for us. Deliverance for Jesus on the cross was denied by the Father so that deliverance could come to you and me as Jesus died in our place. Jesus asked for deliverance. And God answered it by giving us deliverance, not him in that moment. So the Father's kingdom, the Father's will, the Father's provision, the Father's forgiveness, the Father's deliverance. That's what Jesus' prayer life was all about. And he wasn't delivered so that you would be delivered from your sin so that you would be delivered from the second death, from spiritual death, eternal separation from God, His glory, His peace and justice and love and all of His goodness for all eternity, all the things that His kingdom priorities are moving us towards, you'll be separated from all of that forever. And His just wrath. Jesus did all of this and prayed this way so that you would be delivered from all of that. The words of the Lord's Prayer reflect the priorities of the kingdom of God. And God's priority was to step off of his throne and come to earth as the man Jesus of Nazareth and deliver you and rescue you because he loves you. That's the God you're praying to. Look at Jesus and what he said and what he did. Look at Jesus. That's the God you're praying to, not a taskmaster that you could never please. He's pleased with you already because of what Jesus has done in your place. Not some gullible substitute God that you can outmaneuver and outwit. No, no. When you pray to God, think of Jesus because that's the God you're praying to. So learn how to pray with his priorities not your own. Pray with Christ's priorities outlined for you in his Lord's Prayer and see how it changes your life. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you that we can call you that. Thank you for adopting us by the blood and death and resurrection of your great Son, our Savior Jesus, thank you for adopting us into your family with seats at your table, preparing to inherit your eternal kingdom. Father, may that kingdom, may that kingdom already be present in our lives, in our decisions, in our habits, in our ambitions and goals, even now. 
Father, even as you are holy and perfect and great, may the greatness and perfection of your plans for humanity and all of creation, may it begin uh, to be seen in our lives. May our very words and actions and relationships and causes reflect, hint at your coming kingdom. And Father, give us whatever we need to accomplish your will as we live out your kingdom priorities and seek that your kingdom come into a reality in all that we do and wherever we are. Father, give us what we need. We ask that you would not always give us what we want because sometimes we don't want good things. Give us what we need to do your will. And Father, even as you have forgiven us, we ask that you would give us grateful hearts that are willing to forgive those who hurt us. And Father, we ask, as this world is full of trouble, as our own hearts can be sinful, as we can be tempted, as there really is evil, physical and spiritual, we ask, Father, that you would deliver us and that we would take heart that our Lord Jesus has overcome the troubles of this world. And in him we will too. Father, I pray if anyone is praying now with me, that does not know you as their Father, that does not know Jesus as their Savior and Lord whom they follow. I ask that the words of the Lord's Prayer, that the death and resurrection of Jesus would change them, would change the way they think, would reboot the system of their soul, their intellect, their emotions, their very desires, so that they could see you as their Father and worship you and make their lives about whatever it is that you want them to do and to be. Father, teach us how to see Jesus when we think of you and to pray with his priorities, knowing his character. Father, teach us how to pray. In Christ's name, amen.